Well, if you've ever been on a long road trip with your family, um, you've probably asked that question. When are we going to get there? And maybe your mom and dad said, we'll get there when we get there. Or maybe they've given you a specific time. And you've probably looked out the window of the car and watched for signs that you're getting closer. Are there familiar landmarks? Are there, are there actual signs that tell you that you're getting closer? Well, the Christian life is like that too. And we often wonder, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get to heaven? When is Jesus going to come back and gather us? And what should we be doing while we're waiting for that? Let's find out the answers to those questions in our reading today in the book of Matthew. I'm so glad that you joined me on Audacious Arrows, where we're becoming recklessly bold men and women of faith through the power of God's word. So reading in the book of Matthew still has us in the middle of Holy Week, this week when Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the week before leading up to his crucifixion and burial and resurrection. And in our passage today, Jesus is leaving the temple and he's talking with his disciples about the temple and telling them that it's going to be destroyed. And the disciples are asking him some questions. So we're starting in on Jesus's kind of final big discourse in the book of Matthew, big conversation that he's having in the book of Matthew. And this one, he's talking about future events. He's telling his disciples what will happen and preparing them for what will happen. For context, one thing to understand is um, a little bit of history about the temple. So the temple at this point was this beautiful building. It would have been really a marvel to look at. Um, Probably much of it was covered in gold and white, you would have been able to see it from a long distance. It would have been pretty amazing. But about 35 years after Jesus died and was buried and rose again, in 70 AD, the Romans overthrew the temple and they um, they took away a lot of the vessels in it and they destroyed the temple. I think they burned much of it. Now, something to understand here is that Up until this point, the temple was necessary. It was a place to offer sacrifices to God for sins. But when Jesus died on the cross, he became the final sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice, the only sacrifice that really could truly take away sins. So there's no longer a need for the Jewish people to offer sacrifices. It's finished with Jesus. So there was no longer really a need for the temple. And you can kind of understand then that the destruction of the temple was kind of the close of one era and the beginning of the church era. So Jesus is going to talk a little bit about the destruction of the temple. He's also talking about his second coming. And sometimes it gets a little confusing about like, which one is he talking about? Um, Is this happening now? Is this happening in the future? Those sorts of things. But the Bible teaches clearly that Jesus is coming two times. Once he already came, as we're reading about in the book of Matthew, he was born on the day that we usually celebrate as Christmas, lived on earth, was crucified, buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven. The first time he came, he came to offer salvation. He came to die for people's sin, to offer himself as a willing sacrifice and a ransom for many. So he came offering offering salvation and 
asking people to repent and turn to him and follow him. The second time he comes, he will come to judge the living and the dead. There will be a final judgment. So we'll hear about that a little bit in our reading today. One other word that is used quite a bit in this part that we're reading today is the word elect. Um, another word, you, you probably hear that word when we talk about elections in our country, when we elect a president. It's kind of a way of saying choosing. And the Bible teaches that um, God, before the foundation of the world, before he created anything, he, he knew who would be his. He chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. And so sometimes the Bible talks about Christians as the elect. So when you see that word, just think Christians and you'll understand what it's talking about. All right, here we go. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 24, verse 1. Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the close of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let the one who is on the housetop not go down to take what is in his house. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on a Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation, such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, no, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, Look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, Look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, Look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. 
Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. As were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant, whom his master has set over his household, to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant when his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants, and eats and drinks, with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So reading this portion of scripture can be difficult because prophecy is hard to understand, especially prophecy that hasn't been fulfilled yet or is partially, partly fulfilled. So there's things in here that are symbols and there's things that are probably literal, meaning it, he, it's actually what he's saying it is. Um, and sometimes we're not sure which is which. And even among Christians who have studied the Bible their whole lives, there's debate about what exactly Jesus means by some of the things he's saying here. So I don't want you to be discouraged if you feel like you have questions. I have questions about this part of scripture too. But what was Jesus's point in talking and telling his disciples about these things? I think it was to help prepare them and to encourage them for what was to come. So let's look at some things that will help prepare us and encourage us as we wait for the second coming of Jesus. Well, first off, Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray, right? There's going to be many people that come and say, I am the Christ, or Jesus is over here, the Christ has come back. And we're not to be led astray by those things. 
In verse 27, Jesus said, For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Have you ever watched a lightning storm at night? The lightning lights up the whole sky. You can't miss it. You don't have to be in a certain place to see it. You can see it from miles and miles around. It will be the same way with the coming of Christ. We'll know when he comes. We won't be able to miss it. Verse 30 makes the same point. It says, Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, I don't know exactly what the sign in heaven will be, but I think it's clear from Jesus' words that we won't be able to miss it. We'll know when it happens. Another encouragement is that Jesus tells us to expect trials and tribulation. Things like wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, um, being hated for Jesus' sake. Jesus is preparing us for these things. He tells us that they will happen. We should expect them. We shouldn't be surprised by them. And in verse 8, he says it's the beginning of the birth pains. Now, you've probably never had a baby, but maybe you've seen your mom be pregnant and kind of struggle through being pregnant and and having a baby. Giving birth is a very painful experience. Um, It takes some time, but what comes of it is something really wonderful and joyful. So joyful, in fact, that you kind of forget how uncomfortable pregnancy was and how painful giving birth was. And the same will be true of these things. The difficulties in our world today are like birth pains. And what is going to be born? Not a baby, but the kingdom of heaven. And it will be so wonderful and so joyful that there will be no more sorrow and no more tears. One other thing that Jesus says that um, I think helps prepare us of how are we supposed to wait for him is he says in verse 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. This endurance isn't in our own strength. The Bible also teaches that he holds us fast, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. So we, it's kind of like running a race and we have endurance, but he is, he is making us able to do that. So staying firm in our faith, pursuing Jesus, keeping our eyes fixed on him, looking and waiting for him, seeking to honor him in the way that we live is how we endure to the end. At the end of this passage, Jesus explains that no one knows the day and the hour when he will come again, except the Father only. You might think, well, doesn't Jesus know everything? Isn't he God? And he, he is fully God, but he's also fully man. And in his humanity, there are things that he set aside for a time. He set aside his glory and put on human flesh and there are some aspects of his knowledge that he set aside when he came to earth and this is one example of that Um, so he he claims here that he does not know the day or the hour the father only so we don't know exactly when he will come and we know from what he explains here that it will happen suddenly so we need to be ready we need to be we need to be ready and living lives in such a way that we expect him to come at any moment One really important element of this is that if you have not put your trust in Jesus, if you're not putting your hope in him, if you're not following him, don't wait because you don't know. 
He could come again tomorrow and you need to be ready. So today is the day to to pray and tell Jesus that you want to follow him and put your trust and your hope in him. All right, let's look at our memory verse for this week. We're in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. It's looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's just read both of those verses together. Last week we learned verse 1, and this week we're learning verse 2. If you've got to memorize, try say it along with me. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm glad that you joined me today. As we read through like end times prophecy, in the book of Matthew. It can be hard to understand and it can lead to a lot of questions. So if you have questions, I would encourage you, first of all, to reread the passage for yourself. If you can, pray about it. Ask the Lord to help you understand what you need to understand and ask him to give you peace about the things that you don't understand. And then the third thing you can do is talk to your mom, your dad, your pastor, another Christian in your life, and ask them to help you understand these things. Just a reminder, in the description box below, I have links to Bible verse cards and a contest going on through the month of March for to win a children's ESV Bible. So you can check those things out or have your mom and dad check them out. We will see you next time.